there's elements of movement and exercise selection that help expand our movement fluency, great range of motion, stability, and mobility absolutely can overlay onto a lot of classic principles. It's not like this crazy shift in direction from how people have looked at training. It's just foundational principles are incorporated at every step of the journey. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Marcus Philly. Marcus is the founder of Functional Bodybuilding, and after leaving medical school, he turned to health and fitness to help people more directly with training and nutrition in their day-to-day lives. Drawing on an extensive training background in soccer and his competitive CrossFit career, Marcus owned an affiliate CrossFit gym for years before changing methodologies to help athletes better succeed through individual coaching. After the 2016 CrossFit Games, Marcus was burned out and broken and about to become a first-time father. Functional bodybuilding was born out of a need to train more for longevity and sustainability while still looking good and moving well. Today on the show, we discuss how to stay fit without sacrificing your family, an overlooked but effective way to build muscle, why going to the gym doesn't necessarily make you active, how to lose body fat and keep it off for good, why eating clean can be misleading, the power of a five-ingredient meal, why CrossFit can be dangerous, the best way to build habits that last, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome, Marcus Philly, to the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Doug, thanks for having me, man. You got it, man. I would love to jump right in because one of the things that really inspires me about your content is not only that you're super jacked, shredded, and ripped, but you're also a family man. You keep things balanced. I see you incorporating all the food groups into your plates. Um, it seems like you're excited to, to move and you do a good job with all of that. So how do you do it? How do you remain like somewhat balanced when it comes to your mental health, when it comes to your physical health to make sure that you're not overdoing it, but yet you're also optimizing your health? Man, that's a great question. I I had a conversation with a few other coaches recently on the idea of like balance versus burnout. You know, something that we kind of all agreed upon was that as like my mentality is is really not one of like every day wake up and how do I stay balanced? It's actually every day I wake up and I try and push myself to be the best in some area. And that often just because of my nature and I think human nature pushes me to like try and do things to the extreme. I don't think that that's a problem, even though it can lead to burnout. I think life and health and fitness pursuit is try and be the best that you can in everything and keep challenging yourself to be better, but have like a a ton of awareness about what it feels like to start reaching that threshold of like, wow, I'm pushing it too far and know how to pull back before the wheels kind of fall off. So, you know, I might spend 12 weeks or, you know, yeah, three to three to six months really pushing myself in training beyond what's necessary for balance and longevity. But I do it because that it gets me up, it gets me excited, it keeps me motivated and disciplined. And then at the tail end of that, when my body's starting to like talk to me, it's like, hey, my hips hurt a little bit from the how much I've been pushing it on the leg press or the back squat. Like It's like, okay, this is a sign that it's time to sort of take a detour, go a different direction and apply that energy and that effort and that challenge and that striving to something else. And so I I really, you know, I have pillars in my life. I've got relationships. I've got my nutrition. I've got my sleep and recovery. I've got training. You know, there are probably others that I could tack on to that. And each day I'm checking boxes in each, but there's usually one or two that I'm like really putting extra effort towards. Like I want to be optimized in this and that pursuit is not always about balance it's about trying to do better and create a new whatever set point or threshold of like uh what i'm capable of the key is just making sure like you're paying attention to when that starts to spill into something that's not sustainable 
we live in a world of extremes where I think sometimes it's easy to fall into the extreme traps that fitness can provide in that there's the trap of sometimes feeling like you're not doing enough, so you're not going to do anything, or the trap of I just got to go all in all the time, and then that starts to impact relationships, your mental health, how you feel about yourself, et cetera. And I want to dive into more of your your personal story and your, your personal experience of this in a second. But first, like you've been on both sides now to where you were a competitive CrossFit athlete, owned a CrossFit gym just super dialed in in that world. And now you're still obviously in great shape. But now, like I said, a few minutes ago, you're a family man. and You have this sense of of balance where you have other things going on in your life instead of just being obsessed with, with health and fitness. Given the fact that you have this mindset now and you are very lean and you take care of your health, what are the main like boxes people should check on a daily and weekly basis when it comes to their health to remain sane while also like looking good and feeling good. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to sort of take what I was saying before a step further, you know, what I was doing for years as a competitive CrossFit athlete coach and, you know, deep in the CrossFit community, I look at the effort and the energy that I gave to that as more of like a, that was like a singular focus. Like I, I had a business that I was running, but that was not the priority. You know, being successful in CrossFit as an athlete was the priority. It took priority over a lot of things. Um, I think, f like, in order to have balance, you have to actually have buckets that you care about in your life. And you have to make, you have to acknowledge, recognize, and be honest that, like, these are things that, that do matter. I don't want to, I don't want to just be one dimensional. I want to be, you know, a multi-dimensional person that is fit, but also takes care of my, you know, recovery, health, nutrition, and also attends to my responsibilities at work and as, you know, uh, maybe an entrepreneur, uh, or, you know, you have family or you have a relationship that you want to dedicate time to. And acknowledging that first is like, the foundation for actually building a balanced practice of giving each thing something. You know, if if fitness and your body and the way you look is all consuming and it's all you think about every single day, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just for you to then say like, oh, I'm a shit dad or I'm a, you know, I'm a terrible, you know, uh, co-worker. Um, you know, it's like don't judge yourself for the thing that you haven't even established as important to you. And that was really it for me. It was like, in 2017, we had our first child, you know, I sold my CrossFit gym and I wanted to start, I, I really wanted to start a new business that was centered around some different principles and some different uh, core values than my former group fitness gym. And when I, when I said that I was going to do those things, like I took that on as like a deep responsibility to commit to that. And then now at that point, it's like, Going forward, I have these three, I'll call them three buckets, business, family, and fitness, that now I had to measure myself against. And in 2015, when I was competing for the CrossFit you know, World Championship title, I didn't have that same family. And I didn't really have that same business that I placed that much value, as much value on. And so it wasn't really... I didn't look at that as like about. I looked at my life as balanced. I was like, "Hey, I'm balanced in the pursuit of the one thing that matters to me," and I don't think that's a step that people can race past. I think that that's really a step that, you know, there's a lot of people that are just not put, placing a high priority on their relationships, or they're not placing a high priority on how their body recovers and the energy they feel each day. And if they don't do that, then there's no way to really create a balanced life where you're checking these different boxes, you're putting equal energy into each. It, you're, you're sort of like, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no treble on your speaker system. There's only a bass. So that's the only thing that you're going to crank up and down versus like if you actually look and you try and balance all these different, you know, sound inputs or outputs, then you now have multiple knobs in your life that you want to, you know, optimize and tweak and... Uh, so I think you know for me it's 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 
it's work or it's like professional and uh, that's kind of purpose around career. Then there's family and purpose around being a father and a husband. Um, and then there's, you know, purpose and, and passion for fitness and health and longevity. And now it's like, okay, if I'm putting all my eggs in the fitness basket, then I'm really neglecting these other two things that actually mean something to me. And so when I start to spread, you know, my energy across all three different platforms or all three different foundations that are important to me, I start to look like a really balanced guy. And I think it actually all feeds, you know, they all feed one another. What did that transition process look like for you? Because I just think of your situation in the same lens as like a professional athlete to where, you know, now you have your wrap, your identity wrapped up in this thing, you know, being an athlete for a sport. And then all of a sudden, either voluntarily or involuntarily, you know, people are kind of forced to transition out of something like that. And you, you did that. And I'm sure it wasn't this overnight thing where you just stopped, you know, caring so much about being a competitive CrossFit athlete. And now all of a sudden the next day you're this balanced, you know, dad and have all these buckets that you're caring about that you're caring about, like you just um, alluded to. What did that process look like for you to get, to get to this sense of being more well-rounded? It's a scary, hard one. You know, I mean, it, if, if you're all in on one thing and that thing is going well, it is really easy to just stay super focused on that thing because you're getting feedback from the world that you're awesome. You know, <laughs> dipping my toe into being a father, there was no playbook that I knew how to follow. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on myself, but you know, by all measures, like I started out poor, like I didn't, or bad at it, you know, like I didn't, I didn't know what to do and, you know, I had to, had to, had to learn. So you know, making that, that leap is, I don't think one that a lot of people want to make. They don't want to be like, okay, I'm, I'm great at this thing or this one thing's going well for me. I'm, I'm kind of all focused here and I'm just going to jump ship to this other stuff. There's usually some event that happens that you're the thing that you're all in and focused on kind of goes poorly and you're like, oh, dang, I, I have to diversify what matters to me. It's somebody who's like, I'm the relationship person. I am all in on my relationship. I pour everything into my spouse and my partnership or my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And then that relationship fails and they're like, oh my God, who am I without this relationship? And that's maybe the serial dater, the person that jumps right into the next relationship jumps because it's scary to be like, okay, now instead of jumping into the next relationship, go and invest yourself in health and fitness and just become a strong, confident, like uh, person through the reps and the sets and working hard. It's like, well, I have no track record of doing that well. I want to stick to the thing that I have at times done well. But when things get really rocky and, and they're not stable, then that can be a great motivator to be like, okay, now it's time to go and, and look at something else. So I'm setting the stage to sort of say that in 2016, you know, I had, I really had two things going on that were like CrossFit, very successful, doing really well. And a business, you know, my career as a fitness coach was also doing quite well, but the career was sort of on the rocks because I was anchored in this CrossFit gym that was my my business, I was a partner, it was a partnership and my partnership was falling apart. Like I was not seeing eye to eye with my business partner. So, so that was falling apart. CrossFit as a career, as a, as a pursuit of a sport was not falling apart. I was on the rise and I peaked, but deep down in the back of my mind, I knew, okay, this thing is going to become exponentially harder in the next two to three years because I'm going to have new responsibilities as a father, the, the competition is getting younger and better all the time. This was like a big shifting point in CrossFit around 2017, 2018. The average age was getting younger. and I was already 31, coming up on 32 at that time. Um, and my body was sort of like, I was kind of just spent. Like the idea of pushing another year or even two years was daunting. I was having those moments in training where I was like, I don't know how I can build back up to another peak season. I've got injuries. You know, I, I've been doing it for eight years, uh, from 25 to, or from 24 to 32. 
And so I was on the, it was rocky in, in these, in these ways. So that to me was like, I, I, again, I had enough awareness to be like, okay, this is not going to be simple, a simple continuation of the same things that have always been my focus. Like it's time to reinvent myself, not because on a whim, I just decided it was a good day to do it. It's because it was like, no, the 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 writing's on the wall. Things are getting harder. My business is falling apart. I don't want to be in this partnership anymore. I need to take what I've built here and evolve into something new and then throw in the fact that my wife is pregnant and we're pregnant and we're about to have a kid and I know the due date and it's like, okay, like we got a we got a timeline. This thing is, you know, happening. And so what made you choose the functional bodybuilding route because I felt like in the CrossFit community, it's like when you mention bodybuilding, they cringe. And when you go into like a bodybuilding gym, if you mention CrossFit, they cringe. Like, how did you balance those two things? There's two two things that happened there. Number one, bodybuilding was part of my life before CrossFit. And arguably, it was the reason why I was successful in CrossFit. Many young athletes are getting into CrossFit in 12, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old. And they, you know, these are some of the podium, you know, finishers at the CrossFit Games, they have this really great background of training that was rooted in CrossFit. But when CrossFit kind of became a, a recognizable sport, let's say right around the, um, you know, the introduction of Reebok into the scene in 2010, there were not really athletes that had been training for a long time in the sport. There were athletes that had done a lot of other types of training that came into CrossFit and adapted relatively quickly and rose to the top fast. So you got your Rich Fronings that showed up and it was like, whoa, this guy came out of nowhere and he's a champion. Well, Rich had been training pretty darn hard in a lot of different things for a decade or more before that. And so he had a great training base. I had a great training base before I showed up into a CrossFit gym, thanks to years of bodybuilding, resistance training, some Olympic lifting. And so on my first day, I was doing, you know, tipping chest to bar pull-ups, not not too hard, right? Because I already had a a big, strong, you know, posterior chain and I had athleticism and I had done thousands of strict pull-ups in my life and weighted strict pull-ups. So in my mind, like I have this history of like, okay, I know bodybuilding was a reason for my success, not something to sort of stuff down and like many people in the CrossFit community, uh, sort of demonize in a way. I knew it had value. And the second thing was I also lived by a principle and was coached through these principles in training for CrossFit that you train CrossFit as you get closer to your season and your peak events. Like you do a lot of CrossFit workouts in preparation for the Open, in preparation for regionals, in preparation for the games. In the periods of time where you're not training for events or you're further away from events, training starts to look a lot more like bodybuilding, more controlled you know, reps, uh, less fatigue-based, you know, lifting, um, implementing more unilateral work to, you know, balance out strength deficits. Um, so I had already done some of that stuff in my competitive career with CrossFit. And then finally, when I finished competing in 2016, I was, I had two pretty, pronounced injuries that I was dealing with. I had a low back and a shoulder injury that both needed a different approach to training to heal. What did I use? I used a lot of bodybuilding principles and, you know, that I started to showcase on my social media and all of those, you know, that history that I had of using bodybuilding to be good at CrossFit before I ever started using bodybuilding principles or strength training principles that I term functional bodybuilding later on while I competed and then using functional bodybuilding to heal from my competitive career in CrossFit, all those things were like clear as day to me. And when I showed that on social media, people asked for it. So when I said there's like two things, it was the experience of doing it and then showcasing it through a platform like Instagram, having an audience of CrossFitters who were like, wow, I'm resonating with that. I feel like I need some of that because I'm experiencing some of the same burnout or injuries that you've experienced. How do I do what you're doing? And 
portraying you know a new concept or putting content out there until somebody says, "Hey, how do I do that? How can I pay you to do what you're doing?" Um, that is, you know, that's a very, very proven method of, uh, you know, developing an audience and getting people to want to buy your stuff. And so all of that was like, oh, this is clear. This is very, this is resonating with this, my core audience, which was CrossFitters at the time, you know, functional bodybuilding is something that they want, they want more of. And I want to come back to like the program design part of things and like what separates like functional bodybuilding from say the traditional bodybuilding that you might see in the gym. But I want to go back to CrossFit for a second. And you brought up that you had this advantage because you had this solid foundation of bodybuilding and hypertrophy and and just functional strength that you you had built for a period of time before that. I remember when I I joined a CrossFit gym years and years ago and I had something similar where I had been training for for years and for a few years and had built like some solid muscle and then went in there. I had a hard time doing the kipping pull-ups because I was so used to doing strict pull-ups. My brain just couldn't switch, so I just did like the strict pull-ups. I mean, it was such a pain in the butt to do because you're obviously working like a million times harder. But nonetheless, I I've seen so many people through my career as a trainer come to me because they got hurt in CrossFit. And Given your own experience, what you've seen, do you think that there's certain people that there's a certain percentage of population, whether they're untrained, whether they're new to fitness, whether they have a pre-existing injury that just shouldn't step foot in a CrossFit gym? I would I would say there, you know, it's hard to it's hard to make a generalization like that because there's no consistency amongst CrossFit gyms out there other than the name, how they practice, program, coach. Um, the culture, they're all so different. I don't, I don't really think that the core movements of CrossFit are fundamentally flawed. You know, I think some of the competitive movements that show up in CrossFit that really try and push the envelope of like elite fitness don't really have a, a, a place in, you know, gen pop fitness for CrossFit. So I'm talking about like, you know, fatigued Olympic lifting, or even just perhaps snatches in general, you know, perhaps overhead squats, uh, you know, handstand pushups, um, high volume kipping gymnastics. Uh, I, I think the risk reward on those is just really not favorable for, you know, general population fitness. I do believe that that is really underlies a lot of the injuries and, um, bad experiences people have had. The other thing is doing resistance training under a lot of aerobic fatigue is a very potent and powerful tool. However, when it gets programmed, you know, in in some of the ways that it got programmed f- for the middle part of like 2012 to 2017, 2018, uh, it was really problematic for a lot of movers out there. People who did not have a good movement foundation and they didn't have years of putting in the reps to build up the foundational movement patterns, motor control, and muscle mass and tendon strength to support their their joints. What 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 was What's challenging is that at the time... And I can really only speak for how things were going back then because that's when I was coaching it so much. You know, we had sort of like our rubric for determining whether somebody was a good mover versus like they needed to work on their technique was just a low bar. It was like, here's a PVC pipe. Can you press a PVC pipe, you know, from your shoulder to over your head in something that kind of looks like a military press? Okay, cool. Let's go for a five rep max. You know, okay, here's a, you know, here's a PVC pipe. Show me that you kind of understand how to like deadlift with a straight back. Okay, let's, you know, put 135 pounds on the bar. Let's do deadlifts and run and jump on a box. Um, that that jump from like what we deemed as like, okay, you're, you know how to do this to let's layer on the most intensity that you could possibly imagine for a, you know, hinging movement under load. That's, that's problematic. And, and now not every coach and not every uh, gym follows that same quick, fast, you know, accelerated progression, but many do because, Hey, I see people doing it. They're getting 
great workouts, and they are, and they seem to be coming back over and over again. So I should jump into that. But the 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 reality of like understanding movement, as you certainly do, being in the industry so long, it's like to go from a broomstick deadlift where you're teaching somebody to hip hinge and keep a flat back to being able to tolerate doing a 225-pound deadlift for 45 reps while you're rowing 500 meters in between at an anaerobic threshold pace with box jumps, that's that, that if you were going to do that properly and keep somebody, you know, keep the risk to reward ratio favorable for that athlete, that could take six, seven, eight years to like build up that true capacity. And we fast track people to do that in three to six months. And so that's where 99% of the, you know, the injuries came from the other, the other 1% were fluke accidents when somebody jumped off a, a pull-up bar and there was a kettlebell underneath their leg and they twisted an ankle, which is just unfortunate and, and maybe, you know, poor organization on the business. I mean, yeah, I, I think the the majority, I mean, like, like you said, like 95% of the exercises that are done in a CrossFit gym are excellent exercises, you know, done on their own, right? I think the problem lies, at least in my observation, in the programming and like the the workout, something like the, a workout you just mentioned, or like the coach to participant ratio, where you have maybe a coach or two coaches and you got like 50 people in a class or 30 people in a class and maybe 25% of them, it's their first class, maybe it's their third week or whatever. And then I think the the other problem, which is also a good thing in that it's great for community, right? That CrossFit community is so tight. It's awesome for people that feel left out when they go to the gym. I mean, I, a lot of the people that I do know that have done CrossFit for some time, that's like the big thing is they've made lifelong friends from the the CrossFit community. And with that said, I think a problem that that can present, and this is just human nature, is that people are competitive. And when you're in a one-on-one -on -one session with a trainer and the trainer can tell you like, hey, listen, let's dial it back a little bit. Like that weight seems a little heavy for you. I think when you're around a group of people, the competitiveness and the insecurities creep up and you're like, I don't want to look bad in front of my coworker or in front of my friend. So I'll be Okay. And then, of course, like, what's the trainer? I mean, a lot of times some of these coaches are like, all right, cool, like, it's on you. And then they, they push themselves too hard, and they, then they end up, like, either getting hurt or straining something that ends up leading to another long-term injury. I mean, that can happen, obviously, anywhere, but I see it happen in the group exercise space because of that competitive nature. The, the thing that made it so successful was also the thing that presented a lot of challenge and, and potential risk, you know, the community-based fitness endeavor that was predicated on high-intensity workouts, you co combine those two, people end up doing things that they've never done before, which is powerful for them to experience true training. However, then you layer on programming and what I was discussing before, which is this accelerated growth an intensification model where we're going to take somebody from doing nothing to like these very, very challenging and demanding workouts that are high skill and, you know, high strength demand. Just doing all that too fast is really what led to a lot of the problems. Now, had we gotten people together and, you know, it's like I, I've always I, I had this discussion with, uh, you know, a business uh colleague of mine where I'm like, gosh, if we had just done this with the programming, if we had just stuck to this and if we had just stuck to that, like we could have kept a lot more people safe. And then the question becomes like, well, if we had just watered it down a little bit, would it have caught virality? Would people have actually been so and deep, so deeply invested in the way that they were and telling everybody about it? Like, you don't know. So it's kind of, it's not something that we could probably ever unpack, but I think, you know, more and more people are Let's say five million people or more got introduced to the to the sport and to CrossFit and exposed to the training. You know, now what are you going to do with all those people who had an experience who now know? Okay, this is what training hard feels like. I want to incorporate that, but I don't want to do it in a way that hurts me. So, what's an alternative? And now you have this new wide audience of people who are actually paying attention to training, and that's that's a that's certainly who we speak to a lot you know, with, with our company now. And so I'd love to get into 
again, like your program design for functional bodybuilding, as well as like some of the the secrets or principles that you live by to stay lean and that you could, how you help people, you know, lose body fat and stay strong. But I think a place for us to start with that is along the same lines of you just talking about that sometimes people get thrown into the mix of CrossFit or anything really too quickly. And they don't build, they don't build a foundation. They don't build the habits. They don't build the, the, the fundamentals. And then they end up either getting hurt or quitting or getting lost or whatever. What have you found like, what have you found to be the most effective way for people to, to build like healthy habits that last? Like if you were taking somebody that just say that this, this avatar that we're describing is somebody that's been in out of the, in and out of the gym for the last 15 years, and they just had a hard time sticking to things. They've tried CrossFit. They've tried online programs. They've tried going to the gym. They've tried eating healthy. Like where do they start so that this time that it, uh, it actually sticks? I think a lot of people would jump in and say, okay, you got to do it slow and steady. Like it's, you know, one of the biggest uh, pitfalls of, you know, many fitness programs and let's say new year, new you challenges is that you people go all in and they bite off unsustainable practices, you know, to get to, to stack all these early wins, right? It's like, okay, yeah, if you eat like, 700 calories every day for the next 30 days and you just kind of suffer and will through it you're going to lose a ton of weight right and then but then all you know for achieving success is this practice that is not going to work or not going to be sustainable going forward so then you're left at the end being like well I don't really know how to do this for the long haul I'm going to quit and just stop and then you get derailed However, going slow and steady is not super sexy and not very motivating for people when they start out. You know, it's like, hey, let's get you into a 100-calorie deficit for the next 30 days, and they do that, and then a month goes by, and they haven't lost really any weight, and the, but, you know, they they got some good patterns, and they're like, ah, this isn't working either, right? I'm not seeing the results. I want some results faster. So, you know, getting somebody into a sustainable, long-term you know, habit is this balance between like, okay, how do we get somebody to get some early wins quickly? Like, and that's going to take doing something that feels a little bit hard and, you know, maybe isn't the long-term plan. And then balancing that with like, what's the weekly habit that you've anchored that's going to be there even when we bump your calories back up or we, you know, take out the 30 day challenge of walking 12,000 steps or, you know, whatever it is that people are like pushing themselves and motivating themselves hard for 30 days to accomplish. And, and that might be like, you know, January comes around. Okay. I'm going to walk 15,000 steps every day for the month of J January. I'm going to eat like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to drink any alcohol. I'm going to, uh, you know, whatever pick one. And those habits that they're going to stick to are going to have a profound effect. But are they going to never drink another, you know, beer for the rest of their life? No, they're not looking for that. Are they going to walk two and a half hours every single day for the rest of their life? No, that's probably not going to be sustainable for them. So at some point in that month where they're doing something that's like kind of aggressive because they're motivated and they're seeing results and this is like helping compound, there needs to be a, a systematic way of saying, okay, after this is over, you're doing 15,000, but when you hit the 10,000 mark or the 8,000 mark each day, I want you to take note of like how much investment of time did that take? Because that's what you're going to do from February to December for the rest of the year. We're going to actually, we have to keep this going. And then this idea of like, you're not going to drink any booze all, all month of January, fine. But after that, what are we going to move to that's actually sustainable for you? Is that Monday through Sat or Monday through Friday or Sunday through Friday you don't drink, but you drink on Saturdays? Okay, let's let's adhere to that. Or maybe that person needs to have, you know, two or three drinks a week spread out in a way. But we just start to create something that's measurable and something that seems sustainable. So at the end of this really aggressive thing that they're doing, there's a plan in place for what does the sustainable track look like afterwards. People can get hyper-focused and all in on 30 days or three weeks of a challenge, and they have no idea when what's going to happen afterwards. 
And so in order to to sort of create something that works, it's like you got to have a little bit of both. There has to be a discussion of what's going to happen on the other end of it. Yeah, it's like you're balancing these two worlds, right, where it's like you're meeting the demands of the slow and steady method while you're also meeting meeting the demands of like the just like ready fire aim, like just go out all in on something and see the quick results, but also have that plan waiting for you so that when you reach that 30 day mark, you know what you're doing. And I think you're absolutely right. Cause it's like, I think that's one of the biggest flaws of a lot of these challenges that I see is that there's no realistic maintenance plan or there's no focus on that from the beginning, right? Like people are just so focused on the 30 days and they get to the 30 days and they're like, Oh, well let's just get you um, on some sort of maintenance plan. But it's like, well, wait a second. Like I've been so focused on, yeah, what is that? Or I want to keep going like this. It's also, and there's another part to it too, which is we're talking about the 30 day plan, but a lot of people start out the new year and they're just like, this is what I'm doing in 2024. I'm doing all these things. And there's no end date in sight. They don't actually have a plan for when that's going to stop. It's like, I'm going to go on a calorie deficit. I'm going to cut weight. It's like, okay, well, how long are you doing this for? It's like, I'm just going to cut. It's like, no, 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 no. You're doing this for eight weeks, right? And for eight weeks, you're going to be disciplined as heck. But at the end of eight weeks, it's over. So keep it confined. Like, do the unsustainable thing for a discrete period of time that you actually name and you have a, and then you must know what does maintenance look like after that. If you want to maintain it, right? And some people don't care about that. They're like, I'm doing this because I'm getting married in 45 days and I want to look sick for my wedding photos. And after that, I don't care. But we're talking about the person who's like, I'm tired of kind of starting and stopping, starting and stopping. It's like, okay, well, pick the discrete window that you're going to term your start energy and pour a little bit of that extra motivation into doing you know, something that's going to move the needle and make you feel like, man, I'm really seeing some wins. But then when that's over, you have a, a sustained like maintenance period that goes on after that. And I, my, my wife had a great experience with this where she was going to, it was, it was kind of like body composition for wedding. All right. But she started this like 18 months before the wedding. Cause our wedding got like postponed, I forget exactly why she started. So I think maybe she had planned to do it a year ahead and then it turned into 18 months. But she worked with a, a RP diet coach, a nutrition coach at the time. And it was like, okay, we're going to do an eight-week cut or like a six or eight-week cut. And then you're going to do maintenance for two months. And then we're going to do another cut. And then you're going to do maintenance for four months. And then we're going to do another cut. And then the wedding, like that landed on the wedding. So it was like, and what was interesting and what was really cool was that, you know, she dropped body fat. She learned what maintenance was. She had really good practices. She dropped body fat again, got into maintenance, didn't put that weight back on. Unfortunately, it was like the cut, the final cut went right into the wedding. And then after the wedding, you know, within two months, we were pregnant. So, you know, I don't think she ever had that rhythm, but it was a very interesting and it was, a, it was a good case study to watch of somebody who really did something in a planned way for a long extended period of time where there were little sprints of like aggressive work being done that might have felt unsustainable, but then longer periods of maintenance in between that you start to anchor the habits in a more sustainable way that you learn in the first phase that was more aggressive. So it's, you, you talked about that there's a percentage of people that they don't necessarily care about like the long-term journey of health and they just want to get fit for the wedding. They want to get fit for a reunion. They want to get fit for what revenge body, whatever it is. Right. But I think now there's a lot of people that they want to find a way to maintain that without necessarily like losing their mind. And I think that there's a lot of information out there that's super confusing. It's like, okay, I got to go keto to look a certain way. I got to go paleo. I got to be vegan. I got to do intermittent fasting. I got to do all these. I got to cut out fruit, cut out sugar, do all these things. And what I really like about your page is I, I feel like it's part of your mission to show that you don't need to do any of that to look a certain way. You can incorporate a whole um, a diverse group of foods. You can eat essentially not whatever you want, but you don't have to like be hyper restrictive Knowing what you know now and knowing the types of people that need the help the most, like talking about the general population who wants to stay fit and healthy, 
what are some of the like non-negotiables like for the person who wants to maintain a great physique throughout the course of their life what do they need to be doing on a daily and weekly basis yeah so the i think the first thing is to really get honest with how much you move and i i think people are very i think they're naive to like how set like how sedentary they really are uh it's interesting cuz like i work for a a fitness company we have a lot of employees and you know some of the people that i'm closest to here that i see on a regular basis like i encouraged within the last year to like get a pedometer and put it on their body and they were like shocked they're like whoa like we talk about i hear you talking about the 10,000 steps every day and i'm getting 2,000 steps a day and i'm like yeah like until you have some objective measurement in front of you of like how much you actually move, it's really shocking. And what a big mis, a big misconception is that because you work out five times a week, you're highly active, and that's just not true. That training and the amount of energy that people expend in a day when they go to the gym is really small compared to their total energy expenditure and how much output they they have. You know, somebody who walks 10 to 15,000 steps a day and maybe only a week in the gym is likely way more active. They're putting out a lot more energy than the person who trains five times a week in the gym but only walks a few thousand steps a day, right? They train super hard, but then they just sit at their desk all day. So to me, it's getting really objective with how much you're moving and then make steps starting small to improve that, you know, to increase that. And I, I like to lean on walking or weighted walking or, you know, again, just like having a pedometer to say like, okay, how many steps did you get today and, and try and move that needle a little bit further north if, you know, as time allows in your day. And, you know, you we talked about before we started recording, you know, Kelly and Juliet and their Built to Move book. They've got some really uh, practical tips on how to in- increase your total steps in a day. And it's profound how much that can impact someone's health and body composition at the end of a year. It's, it is it's truly profound. So that would be one thing to start thinking about. I think the second thing... Um, is there's still a carryover of this. This has been going on for a couple decades now where people talk about just like, if you just eat clean foods, you're good to go, right? And like, just worry about eating clean foods. And um, I think the diet culture scares people where they're like, I don't want to be like so fanatically measuring and weighing and doing all like the the counting of my calories. And that's led a lot of people to just look for ways of essentially restricting calories without counting them. And one of the biggest trends has been clean eating is a way to restrict calories without having to count your calories. But the last decade, maybe more, has really ushered in this whole era of like marketing clean stuff and just tricking people into eating foods that they think are healthy, but they're just packed full of energy, packed full of calories, but they're, they're quote unquote clean, you know, because they're organic, because they have nuts in them and nuts are healthy and nuts are superfood and whatever. Right. So it it's, I don't think it's a sad statement to say. I think it's actually liberating when people can learn this, but they have to they have to commit to some way of learning how to control quantity in their diet, like understand how much energy they're consuming on a daily basis. And I I believe that there's a there's a certain investment of time that each person should make into actually like counting their foods like the qual- the quantities that they're eating whether that be tracking calories or tracking the protein that they eat each day or their macros that is going to just illuminate so much for them and they can have these really profound moments of learning where they're like wow this clean food is actually like super super dense like i'm eating you know 700 calories in a tiny little bowl here and i thought this was healthy for me and 
you know, and I'm only walking 3000 steps a day. And man, that's like, maybe that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm not feeling my best and looking my best. So getting measurable about how much you're moving, investing some time, and maybe it's just 30 days, once or twice a year where you are measuring how much food you're consuming or the quantity that you're taking in, I think is a super valuable lesson, you know, practice that people should go through. The last piece is around building muscle. This is there's lots of different ways to attack this. I'm actually working on a content piece for your YouTube right now, which is like twelve muscle building, you know, like like not hacks, but like learn these. 12 muscle building lessons, you know, in 2023 and grow more muscle. The reason I've gotten a lot more focused on helping people build muscle and think about building muscle is that muscle is, is, a is our metabolic, you know, engine. It's our metabolic sink. It's how we, how we, how we build our fire of, of energy and metabolism. It's also where calories go to die, right? The more muscle you have, the more of like a, a sink and a drain that your calories can go into your body, into your muscle, and then get expended. And the more muscle you have, the more energy you're just produce, you know, you're producing or expending at rest. And so when, when I get people to think about that, they're like, okay, well, how do I build muscle? It's like, well, you need to look at your exercise, your training, what you're doing in, in the gym, your purposeful training all of that should really be focused on building muscle. It shouldn't be about burning calories. You should stop thinking about burning calories at the gym, and you should think about how do I go into the, the gym and what's an effective approach to build muscle? Same thing with diet. What's an effective diet to build muscle? Because you're going to get your steps in and you're going to increase your movement, and that's how you're going to raise your energy expenditure throughout the day. So that should be where you should be checking that box. Don't go to the gym and try and hammer out more cardio to try and burn more calories because an hour of cardio and an hour of weight training, the calorie difference on that is actually pretty negligible if you, if you factor in the calories that people burn when they're recovering their muscle tissue for the next 24 to 48 hours. So if it's about calories in the gym that you're expending, then you're totally missing the point because if you spend the next year trying to build five to 10 pounds of muscle, which is reasonable if you're just a, a novice and you're somewhat of a new person to training, if you do that, you have just changed the whole course of the next decade of your life of having more ability to burn energy, to use the, the, the calories that you're eating, and to feel better and be more f functionally strong in life. So- if I can recap, measure your steps, get moving a little bit more. Be honest with how much you're moving in a day. You're probably, you might be a very sedentary person. Number two, be measurable about what you're eating for at least 30 days, once to twice a year, as a way to sort of recalibrate, holy smokes, like this is what I've actually been eating and this is what I really need. And then number three, your training, your exercise, your fitness, like the thing that you're going to block off in your day to go do, make that about building muscle as best you can. And there's a variety of tools and, and, and approaches out there to do that. But, you know, I obviously bias towards functional bodybuilding, but that's sort of how we've approached, you know, hey, we're going to take all these methods and we're going to put a muscle building priority on all the things that we're delivering. So I love how you broke that down so beautifully as far as like what matters the most, right? Because I think that I think two things can be true, right? I think that specifically with the quality and quantity thing, I think that quality of food, I think certainly matters, right? Um, however, like I think a lot of times when it comes to quality, you hear about things like heart health, longevity, you know, stuff like that. But like one of the biggest risk fact, one of the biggest risk factors for all of that is like obesity, right? And weight. And so it's always like this back and forth of like, what's the lowest hanging fruit? Is it weight loss first, if that's what somebody needs to do to improve their health, or is it to improve their quality of the food? But if the habits aren't in place to eat less and be mindful of how and when you're eating, then I think 
the caloric restriction plan is likely the, the best way to go, right? Because that way you're able to, to monitor more, develop those habits, and then hopefully transition into improving food quality down the road. Sure. Well, and, and look, I, I, I had to pick something to kind of zero in on. And I, that's not to say I don't think food quality is important. I think the term clean food or clean eating is highly misleading and it's just getting used too much. I don't think clean eating, ha there's no definition for it. Um, we can start to talk about food quality and put some, you know, defining characteristics to what high quality food is. And what you realize is that, you know, in many instances, the higher the quality of the food, the easier it is to basically control for your caloric intake. Um, but you're right. Like you can overeat clean foods, be putting on body fat as a result of it and have poor health metrics, you know, poor blood pressure, Poor, uh, poor insulin, you know, um, and glucose management, uh, and and cardiovascular risk factors, um, and you can eat junk food but be in a caloric deficit, losing weight, and improve all of your health metrics. I'm not suggesting that that's the best way to do it, but it is proven time and time again. So to sort of try and sidestep this idea of like I don't need to really focus on the quantity that I'm eating, and I can just sort of pick one of these diets that's focused on clean foods or intermittent fasting, and I can just sidestep that, that whole concept. I don't think it's, I think that's like, you know, you're, you're not learning your, your basic arithmetic. You're just like jumping into some like advanced algebra with a lot of calculators that are highly programmed to do it for you. And that, that's, that's just a bad, you're not setting yourself up for success. Absolutely. And I, I do think that even because then when you, when you're first when your first, um, if your first goal is to like improve the quality of the food, then it becomes hyper confusing because now, like, I think about myself in that situation, and I'm going onto the internet, I'm going onto social media, and it's like, well, wait a second, I'm seeing here that red meat is bad. I can't eat that. I see here that you know plants are bad. I can't eat that. I see here that fruits are bad. I can't eat that. And it's like, well, wait, it's then you're the person's just so confused and overwhelmed that they're not, that they're like, I'm not even going to start. But when you tell somebody, yeah, just eat less, like there's not much confusion around that, right? It's just like you eat, you eat a little bit less. I do have a couple like strategies. If we just talk nutrition that I do like to come back to, and it, and it's a combination of, of quantity and, and quality. Number one, I think simplifying meals is something that really helps people to better understand where they're getting their their calorie, their energy from, and it helps sort of sidestep having to count everything at the beginning, and you can just sort of, you know, go simple, and this can actually help reduce your total food intake. So one of the things that I, pre I preach or I talk about a lot on my social media channel is the, uh, the five-ingredient meal, which is basically like you have a plate of food, and you pick a protein you pick a vegetable, you pick a fruit, you pick a starch, and maybe you pick a fat source. So you got these like five things and you can build any any meal with just one ingredient out of each of those categories and that becomes very simple. Now, if you eat like, you know, chicken cacciatore and it's got 10 ingredients to build this thing, like people think that that's how you have to build a meal. It's like you have to have this complicated recipe. But if you just put a piece of chicken breast on your plate, you put a pile of broccoli, you put a little olive oil on that broccoli, then you have an apple and boom, like that's four ingredients. That's, that's a meal, right? So I, I guide people and I steer people towards the five ingredient meal. And that's a great thing to do for about a month. And it also helps you to, you know, in terms of like tracking food and people starting to be objective about how much they're eating, you know, when they have fewer things on the plate, it's a lot easier to to do tracking, you know, people are like, how do I track my Chipotle meal? And I'm like, I don't know. It's really freaking difficult. Like you got to really do a lot of your homework on that. And it's, it's variable. The second thing is, you know, if you're going to pick something to measure, then I always obviously tell people like measuring your protein each day is the place to begin rather than like, I'm going to try and restrict and, and restrict my calories a bunch, measure how much protein you're having each day and aim to increase that to roughly a gram per pound of body weight each day. That's a great 
starting place for a lot of people nutritionally to help them raise awareness on like what it looks like to actually be measurable and objective about how much they're eating of something. Protein is a really great macronutrient to, you know, prioritize in meals. It's always the first ingredient in my five ingredient meals that I promote. So those would be like kind of two big, you know, takeaways is practice the five ingredient meal fix. No more than five ingredients on a plate. It has to start with protein. There has to be a veggie. And then the other ones you can kind of mix and match. Um, and then be measurable about how much protein you're having each day. I love that because those are like just the main buckets that I think that people should try to to aim for when it comes to like improving their overall health, wellness, body composition, and that sort of thing. I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about functional bodybuilding because I think that functional fitness, there's been a a push for that, I guess, over the years. And the way I think of it is you're doing movements that are kind of paralleling what you would do in everyday life. How do you describe functional bodybuilding? And then how is it different from like traditional hypertrophy and muscle building workouts? Yeah, well, my, I think my definition has sort of continued to evolve. What, you know, if it's, if we're talking about functionality in life, that gets really gray. It's like, well, what is functional for somebody? I think the useful application of force is a good one. It's like, you know, are you strong? And then does that strength actually, you know, kind of, can you use that in a, is it useful for you? But, you know, the idea that like you need to train on like a unstable surface, like a BOSU ball, you know, with some type of instability in a band and to be functional is really not true. You know, I mean, they, they've been published papers that show like people who use fixed machines versus using free weights and more what, you know, quote unquote functional movements, you know, at the end of, you know, training phases that they both go through that are controlled, there's no difference in the groups in how they can produce functional force. And that's tested through like jumping, you know, force production, uh, dynamic movements, you know, athletics things, right? What I think about when I'm thinking about functional is, you know, maintaining the integrity of our bodies and our joints and what they're capable of doing. It's um, It's kind of like, you know, bodybuilding meets, you know, if Kelly Starrett was like giving a seminar on, you know, movement and what, what are each of your joints supposed to be able to do? It's like, okay, well, you're supposed to be able to go through this much hip flexion, this much hip extension, this much hip internal and external rotation. You know, your shoulder internal rotation should look like this. Then functional bodybuilding is bodybuilding principles, building muscle and strength around our full capacity that our, our bodies and our joints are, you know, what, what they're what they're capable of doing and helping to foster either better range of motion, mobility and functional capacity in our joints, or at least maintain them. That's certainly one of the knocks on, you know, conventional bodybuilding is that conventional bodybuilding is about applying the maximum amount of mechanical tension to muscles and using any trick and, you know, tool that there is to stimulate muscle growth doing, you know, people like to knock on like the partial reps that they see bodybuilders doing in the gym. It's like, well, if you overload partial reps on certain exercises and you crank out, you know, 30 half reps of a tricep pushdown with the whole stack, you get your muscles to grow. But what you don't get is you don't really get super strong, healthy elbows and you might be compromising, you know, your shoulder health and you might not be building really good, you know, balance in your shoulder and, you know, your elbow joint. And that to me is something that for the everyday person who wants to have like feel really good and strong and injury free in their forties, fifties, and sixties, that's not conducive to that. So really applying just good full range of motion, kind of been floating this term around, but it's like good movement fluency. Like you're fluent in 10 languages, which means you can sort of, you're very nimble. You can go anywhere in the world and you can kind of get by. It's like, how fluent are you in movement? You know, are you great at the 
at these 15 machines in the gym that are great for putting on muscle, good. Are you great at 50 movements that include some body weight, some, you know, free weights and some machines? Better. Are you great at 100 things, you know, because you've explored doing, you know, some more athletic maneuvers like jumping or, you know, burpees or, you know, okay, that's maybe even better. How can we expand your movement fluency? How can we increase or at least maintain full functional range in all your joints? It's going to make you feel much better and healthier and stronger and more adaptable and less in in less pain. And then how can we keep using the same bodybuilding principles on top of those other two kind of pillars to build muscle? Because like, this stuff works to build muscle, you know, doing a five by five program, uh, for strength, you know, if you're an intermediate advanced lifter is not how you build muscle as effectively as if you, you know, if you actually utilize conventional bodybuilding methods. Uh, so anyhow, that's sort of a long winded way of, of talking about how the word functional and bodybuilding can kind of align and what that, you know, what we, what our te- one of our taglines is like, look good, move well. It's like, okay, I want to look good, which is sort of the bodybuilding culture of like build a physique, but I also need to move well. And good movement, moving well is one part movement fluency and two, another part joint health, range of motion and, and good mobility. So could that be achieved by doing a traditional bodybuilding split? Like, I mean, I think when I think of bodybuilding, it was like, I guess I do that now. It's like push, pull, legs, and then you take a rest day. And the, or it's like back in the day, it was like chest, back. Does the way that you design like the splits any differently? I know you've talked about the importance of full range of motion and preventing injury and stuff. Sure. Yeah. No. It can. It can really be applied to all the traditional bodybuilding splits. I I run kind of a push pull legs, and then like full body, you know, pull full body push training split in one of my programs. But again, it's like there's elements of movement and exercise selection that help expand our movement fluency, movement and exercise selection that help develop great range of motion, stability, and mobility. And so, yes, it is absolutely can overlay onto a lot of classic principles. That's why I don't think it's a huge, it's not like this you know, crazy shift in direction from how people have looked at training. It's just, okay, foundational principles are incorporated at every step of the journey. And then there's one thing I kind of left off, which is, you know, sort of what I learned from CrossFit, my CrossFit years, which is, you know, what what we kind of term mixed modal conditioning or like traditional CrossFit workouts. And we layer in conditioning into our strength training, muscle hypertrophy building, you know, programs, which is not unique because people have been doing it in CrossFit for years, but it's unique in that people who want to build muscle, visible muscle, want to look good and want to do some CrossFit style conditioning that is, you know, addresses some of the things we talked about in the early part of the podcast, which is like, we're not utilizing high skill, high fatigue, you know, low risk reward uh, concepts. We're keeping people safe. We're giving them an opportunity to, you know, build muscle and use conditioning and build their aerobic capacity all in, you know, comprehensive programs. So that concurrent training model of like, we do cardio and we do weights all at the same time. And we progress everything together, you know, in a uniform way. That's something that has been proven through years of CrossFit, and you can do it well or you can do it poorly and we try and do it the best possible way so do you do you not believe in in things like machines and stuff like that as part of this no no not at all i i we've got 10 atlantis machines in this gym that i use regularly they're outstanding tools i think it's not about uh machines are better or worse uh it's about understanding that you can do a back squat poorly and you could do a leg press poorly or you could do a leg press with great form technique and range of motion and you could do a back squat with great form technique and range of motion it's the value system that i think we bring to the training and also knowing like at what stage of you know like does a beginner where, where does a beginner learn the best you know what are some places to invest time and energy when you're just learning in this space versus you've been a seasoned athlete for some time and so 
I guess the the final thing I want to ask you is like, what does your approach look like now? What's your training schedule look like? What types of what type of diet do you follow? I mean, I know you've touched on some of the basic principles and tips for people if they're trying to optimize their own health through nutrition, but what does your current uh, routine look like now? Right now, I train five days a week with weights, and my sessions are just weight training. So they're bodybuilding sessions. We have I have a, a training program called Persist, which is where people come and they subscribe to our functional bodybuilding system. When they get inside Persist, there's five different training tracks to follow. And one of them is a weight training only program. And that's what I follow. It's called pump lift. And that, like I said, is kind of like a push pull, like the current training split is push pull legs, rest day, full body push, full body pull. Then outside of that, I walk a ton. I I take meetings on the tread, tread desk. I walk, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15,000 steps a day. Um, I throw on a little 10, 20 pound weighted pack sometimes do that too. And, um, I might mix in one or two like zone two cardio sessions a week. So I will do a little run. Maybe I'll do a bike or a mountain bike or something like that. That's my movement. And then nutritionally, I have macros that I try and hit. And generally the majority of that food is coming from, you know, whole food ingredients, but I kind of always reserve like 10% of my diet to be indulgent foods. And in that way, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a flexible dieter. I, I generally eat protein, vegetables, you know, carbs from fruit and whole grains and potatoes. And then I like to make sure that I have, you know, some of those foods that would normally be deemed off limits, you know, if you're trying to be healthy, but ice cream and pizza and popcorn and, you know, some candy it makes up a small percentage of my diet, but I keep it in there intentionally every single week so that I never feel like I'm deprived of it. And it's just, hey, this is something that fits my goals and I can have it and and still be successful. I love your story and I love how you've kind of come back, you know, from this person who was just hyper-focused as a CrossFit athlete to now being just super balanced and um, being focused on your family, your business, and still like focusing on getting after it in the gym and achieving overall like health and wellness and stuff like that. So Marcus, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you. Um, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing, learn more about functional bodybuilding and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I'm super active on Instagram. I'm in my DMs all the time. So if they're not following me, go follow me on Instagram at Marcus Philly. You can shoot me a message there. I always respond. And then that's kind of the best way to communicate with me. And then if you want to learn more about functional bodybuilding, head over to functional-bodybuilding.com and join our newsletter. You get some free training and nutrition resources, like kind of this is my blueprint to how you should train and, and also eat for, you know, the look good, move well lifestyle. Um, and then I'll stay in touch with you that way. I put great email uh, newsletters out. At least my audience seems to think so. I think there a lot of energy and time that I put in to putting out great free resources for people to to get better at, at uh, training nutrition and living the look good, move well lifestyle. Awesome, man. Well, I'll be sure to include the links for people to connect with you in the show notes. And I appreciate your time. People are really going to get a lot of value out of this. And thank you for all the good work that you're doing. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate you uh, having me, and 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 thank you to all the listeners that uh, and got to you know hang with us through this uh, hour long uh, hour long show. Sounds good, man. Thank you.